And I think it requires vulnerability on both sides of the conversation. But more importantly, it requires relationship in the first place. I can't have a difficult conversation with someone if I don't know their kids' names. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show that is designed for the worship leader that has to do it all. You might have gotten hired at your church because you can sing and you can lead songs, but then you get into the role and you realize that that's not enough. You have to be an expert at running the sound system or at least being able to know how to turn it on and get things ready for rehearsal. So we are here to help you figure out how to do all those little extra things that comes along with leading a worship ministry. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month. So if you haven't already, consider subscribing on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast on and you're never going to miss another one. This is episode 31, and my guest today is Jeff Sandstrom. Jeff is an audio engineer that has worked with North Point in Atlanta and Chris Tomlin and the Passion Conferences and Lauren Daigle and countless others, but you probably know him better as one-third of the trio that started MXU several years ago to help train people that run sound in church. And recently, MXU has expanded to also include training training for lighting and video directing and others. So if you're looking for a resource to help train your tech team, no matter what their current skill level is, MXU is definitely something that you should look into. But as knowledgeable as Jeff is at the art of running sound, the thing that always impressed me about him is his pastor's heart, his desire to pour into technical artists and to make sure that there's a healthy relationship between the booth and the stage, and his heart for that is so evident. So in this conversation, it's going to center around running sound in church and how to find volunteers that can mix the band and to do it well, but we're also going to talk about how we as worship leaders can help those in the booth to see how what they do as another form of leading worship, which I think is super important. I know many of us are in charge of the tech team as well as the worship band at our church, and we as the leader of the worship ministry need to know how to make sure that our volunteers at both the front end and the back end of the room are healthy. So we'll get to that conversation in just a second, but real quick, I want to get your thoughts on something. How would you finish this sentence? My number one biggest challenge when it comes to leading a worship ministry is blank. What's the one thing that you think is holding you back? And now that you have that answer that you're thinking of, would you be willing to share that answer with me? I've set up the survey online. It's just five questions. It probably will take you like two minutes, maybe three minutes to fill out. And the reason that I'm asking you this question is that I want to make sure that the content that I'm creating, whether it's this podcast or a YouTube video, that it's helping you right where you're at. And maybe I can create a YouTube video or interview someone on the podcast that speaks directly to a problem and a challenge that you're facing right now. So either after this podcast is done or maybe pause it real quick and go to practicalworshipblog.com slash survey to share your thoughts. And you can share as much or as little as you want. That's up to you. I'll also put that link in the show notes page. In fact, all the things that we're going to talk about in this episode can be found by simply going to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 
31. And now, here's my conversation with Jeff Sandstrom. Jeff Sandstrom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. You are guest number three. I don't know if I planned this, but you are the third MXU guest to be on the show. Uh, Andrew Stone was like episode two, I think. And Daniel Cannell has been on. We've talked lighting or so. And so you are MXU guest number three. The last thing we got to do is figure out how to get Fields on the show. Okay. Well, after today, he's got to do it because... You know, he, he won't want to be the last man standing or the, the one left out. So, And we can talk barbecue. I mean, that would be completely fine. He would love that. It'd be great. I've really appreciated just watching the journey of, of MXU and kind of how all that started uh, as, as far as like, hey, let's all get in a room. And one, you know, you, know, you and Fields and, you know, and Stone or anyone else that was, that was in the room, you could like learn from one another. But just people eavesdropping in on that conversation as, hey, we're going to make some tracks and learn some things. And here's a trick and all these different things. Yeah. So you've been doing it for like over five years, right? So our first event was January 2016. Um, and, it, and it was birthed out of actually in summer of 2015, uh, Andrew Stone, Lee Fields, and I were asked to be on a panel at Infocom, and it was a church production track that people could be a part of for Infocom. So we were in a hotel ballroom, and the, the moderator for the event basically looked at us and said, okay, what's the first thing you do when you walk up to a console? Well, there's no console in the room. There's no band on stage. There's no audience. So it was just this really theoretical kind of, okay, what if conversation that was okay, but it wasn't practical at all. And so after that, the three of us went to dinner that night and we were just talking about how the three of us didn't really have a great way to learn from each other or to be challenged by people who were at the same, I say level, but not in a prideful way. It's just, you know, I was on tour They were at massive churches and doing their thing week to week, and we just didn't have a practical way for us to ask each other questions and sit down and do that. So we said, well, what if we just got consoles, set them up in a warehouse somewhere, played back tracks, and got to ask each other, hey, how do you you get that drum sound? Wow, how are you processing that vocal? Okay, what are you thinking about when you listen to this guitar? You know, whatever the case may be. And Lee, in all of his brilliance, said, you know what? I bet other people would want to eavesdrop on that conversation. So that's exactly what we did. We set up three consoles in the middle of a room at Saddleback in January of 2016. We got 100 people to show up, and the rest is kind of history. We've done um, almost 20 events um, since then. Three or four events a year is kind of what our live event schedule has become. Uh, we also now have the MXU podcast, uh, which a lot of people from this podcast, I'm sure, are familiar with. And then the MXU Now video library, which is an on-demand subscription-based training library for everything from basics about microphones all the way through multiband EQ and parallel compression and advanced techniques. And so we're trying to provide resources for church production teams to continually get better and to just be resourced in effective ways. And so um, we're, just, we're just honored and kind of really humbled by the fact that it's become what it is because we really just set out to have a conversation with each other about 
how to get better. And that resonated with people. So we're, we're really excited about that. Is there a thing that you can point to that like, something that you enjoy most about doing MXU that maybe surprised you? Like, you know, looking back, it's like, I didn't realize I would enjoy this aspect of it so much, like, but I do. What, you know, there's a couple of things. One is the camaraderie, um, especially when, you know, before Andrew's passing, the camaraderie that the three of us had in person. It was just fun. You know, for those of you guys who knew Andrew Stone, you know, he definitely had the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And <laughs> yes, he did. He would, he would call people out and just, you know, had such a noble approach on how he talked to people, which was so endearing and refreshing and challenging. Um, but the other thing that has been surprising to me is how surprised other people are when they see us being vulnerable and open-handed with each other. In other words, for me to be able to walk up to Lee's console while he's mixing and make a tweak, and for him to be okay with that, is something that most audio engineers would have a real problem with. You know, and so for us to sort of be open-handed and vulnerable and humble in the way that we're okay being challenged and okay challenging each other, it's not a oh, you're wrong and you need, to, you need to do it this way kind of thing. It's more of a, hey, have you thought about this? And for him as the recipient or for me as the recipient to go, oh, man, you're right, that does sound better. And for the audience to look at that and go, man, I don't think my team could get away with that. It's That light bulb moment for people is really fun for me because I think you know, that kind of vulnerability and authenticity is certainly what our teams need more of you know everything i do in terms of mixed techniques it's all rented i mean none of this is new none i didn't invent any of these things you've got gain structure you've got processing you've got outputs i mean it's the science is what it is and i'm not i'm not creating any groundbreaking innovative technology in what i do and so for me to sort of guard that so closely like it's, this is my sandbox and nobody else is allowed in is really detrimental to the team as a whole but it's it's detrimental to me because I'm not able to learn at that point because if I feel like I've cornered the market on what I do and that's the only thing man it's way too easy for that to become an idol and for that to become sort of my identity and as soon as man as soon as that becomes who I am in my mind it just opens me up to so many problems. And so that's, that's one of the things that's been surprising to me is people's reaction to that kind of interaction. I even think that, like, and back in you know, late January of this year, you guys released uh, a series of videos where Fields kind of admitting that his mix sucked. And there's a whole story behind that where, you know, he was at an event and someone that he respected kind of pulled him to the side and said, hey, um, you might be, you know, you kind of got off the path of what what was like your notable signature sound. Yeah. And so that video series, as far as like him working through that process of one, admitting that that was a thing and then kind of working back like that kind of vulnerability, whatever. I think it's super refreshing Yeah. Uh, to, to say like, OK, someone at that caliber and that level um, struggles with the same kinds of things that that I might do at my church of 200. 
Yeah. And the whole thing about that series, which was so great, is that when you, when you sit back and listen, obviously his mix didn't suck. But the point was, man, that just doesn't sound like you anymore. Like some of the, some of the uniqueness of what Lee's mix was, particularly in terms of the drum sounds and things like that, had just drifted over time. And I think that happens to all of us. You know, my father-in-law used to say, the first rule of holes is when you find yourself in one, stop digging. Right. <laughs> and I think there are too many times where, especially, you know, less experienced, maybe volunteer or amateur sound folks, um, it's too easy for us to dig ourselves into holes that we don't know how to get out of. And I think that's what happened to Lee in a way, is that he was trying to implement so many new things that we were talking about as a, as a trio that the quality of each individual component may have been diluted a bit over time and just took the whole mix to a place that wasn't quite as punchy and not quite as engaging as it once was. And so I think being able to unravel some of that stuff in these videos has been really fun because we could kind of unpack what the changes were, how they affected each element of the mix, and then how collectively those elements kind of affected the overall mix a little bit in a negative way. Not that the mix was bad. It's just now it's a lot better. So it's, it's been really fun. Well, it's that always, always growing process that you never stop learning. And I love that. You've been doing these events for, for a while. And one of the things I think is kind of cool, I always see pictures. I've never been to an event yet. Well, we have to change that. We've I, I, that. I, I know we do. And I was, I, I was even at Philo 2019. And, you know, if I would have come in a day early, but anyway, oh, we'll man. get that fixed. We'll get that <laughs> fixed. But I always see a lot of pictures of like, you know, afterwards, I mean, you guys are so open to like have conversations with people. And I would imagine there are people that come to that event that are, they're running front of house uh, on a contract level at really large churches, but there's also volunteers that uh, they have their normal nine to five, but this is the thing that they do on Sundays and their church might be like 200 or whatever. And they're yeah. mixing on a, a Mackie 1604 or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would imagine there's some like common things that like kind of come up. So when you're having those discussions with, with people, maybe that, that run sound at like smaller or mid-sized churches or even worship pastors, maybe what are some of the common problems that seem to come up over and over and over uh, that they're wrestling with, and then how do you respond to those? Hmm. That's a great question. I think um, a lot of times there's this assumption that, you know, if I don't have XYZ piece of gear, then I can't achieve good results. And I think that's largely a myth. And then there's another problem. I think sometimes people think, well, I have to be able to implement these techniques or these tips and tricks that I saw on a video or saw a, one of us do at an event. Um, and that'll be a way to get a better mix. And that in a way is a myth as well. I think so many times we end up talking to people about remembering the basics. You know, let's talk about the source. Let's talk about you know, what, what does a good snare drum sound like acoustically in the room? What does a good acoustic guitar sound like when it's not plugged into a, a DI through a pickup? You know, what, what is this sort of sound bank in your head, this library of sounds that you need to have, you know, developed? Um, what are those things going to be in terms of what a good source is? And then, 
you know, putting the right mic in the right place on that source is such a huge first step. So even if you do have the Mackie 1604, it's like knowing basics about gain structure and mic placement and all of those things, you know, way before you even touch a fader. But then before that even, so many people get bogged down in the gear that they forget about the relational side. And one of my big passions is talking about, okay, how do we build a bridge between the booth and the stage? Because so many times the technicians among us sort of get bogged down in the gear and the console and the sort of the mixed technique that we forget to look up and realize that there are humans on stage that we have to interact with. And if those relationships are solid, then the mix and the performance and the whatever is, is going to be better by default. So, I mean, there's a lot that we can talk about in this, but I think to answer your specific question about the, the small to mid-sized folks who maybe attend an event, that, that's a starting point. You know, I think especially in places where um, we have a small team or even one person, you know, who was brought in to be the production person because they like technology or because they might be an IT person by trade. And so surely you can mix because you know about IT. Like, well, sometimes that person feels completely out of their element, out of their depth, overwhelmed, barely treading water. So how can we, you know, as maybe the worship staff or the, the person who is on staff as the worship leader, connect with that volunteer in a way that builds a bridge and, you know, empowers them? Because, you know, especially as we've increased the scope of technology and raised the bar for, quote, excellence in production, um, sometimes production teams are the most spiritually vulnerable people on campus because they're so concerned with head down, twisting knobs, pushing faders, trying to get everything right in their effort not to miss the next cue. Sometimes they miss a lot of things relationally uh, between the people on the team, uh, from the worship leader, from the stage. And then worst case, they might miss what God has for them in those moments because they're not able to sort of look up and be aware of how is this aspect of my mix that I'm sort of struggling with, how is it impacting the people around me? How is it impacting the room? How is it translating what the band is trying to communicate? Um, so there's a lot of issues here that um, you know, we can go in several different directions. But I think you know, hopefully in there there's a couple of nuggets that, that might resonate with people because I think it's a very common kind of feeling. Well, like you even mentioned that, like you felt the uh, it was a safe place for for Lee to come over and maybe mess with something on your mix, and that's because there's a relationship there, and that you trust him. Yeah, and um, he's got your best interest at heart. I think a lot of sound techs feel like they have to put lipstick on a pig. Like they, the only thing that they can control is what is at that desk. Yeah, and so whatever's coming at them, and that might be where a microphone is placed, or a, the choice of a microphone, or the fact that you know the the the, the acoustic guitar player is is going strum 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 instead of like a big open 
strum that allows that instrument to like really sing. Like mm -hmm. even like one of the things I always try to do with my sound techs is I kind of look at them a, a little bit like a producer because I know what it feels like on the stage, but I don't know how it sounds in the room. Right. Totally. And and so, uh, you know, I want them to speak into like, you know, maybe I need to change how I'm playing this. Maybe we need to, uh, you know, there's something with a vocal that we need to, to change. So like how how can we have that kind of relationship where he knows what it sounds like in the room and and where he feel and it takes a while like. I come from the very beginning and I will, and I'll say, I want you to do this, but it takes you know a little bit of time for them to trust like, oh no, he really does want the feedback. Yeah. It's really, and you know, and it's okay for someone to say, hey, Dave, you're not singing that well. Like you're, that's not, that song is in the wrong key for you. Yeah. Which, you know, they might feel like, well, I don't want to get into his business and you know, and this is obviously he's got more experience than I do, but it doesn't mean that they're any more wrong or right. They're probably right. If it sounds bad in the room, we need to make a change. But having that relationship where the 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 sound tech feels the freedom to be able to get on on the stage and and and, and be able to speak into the source material. So it's not just like, okay, whatever I'm getting through the inputs. Yeah. I just gotta make this whatever. Yeah. It's to you're totally right. And I think it requires vulnerability on both sides of the conversation. But more importantly, it requires relationship in the first place. You know, one thing that Lee and I say all the time is, you know, I can't have a difficult conversation with someone about, you know, I need you to turn your guitar amp down or I need you to, as a drummer, I need you to play to the room instead of just bashing the cymbals that are getting in all these mics. I need you to maybe think differently about your tone or your, your intonation or whatever. I, I can't have a difficult conversation with someone if I don't know their kids' names. It's like we have to connect relationally first so that the the tension from a hard conversation isn't based on well gosh they just don't like what i'm doing therefore they don't like me no man i the reason that i'm bringing this up is because i do like you like we're in this together we're one team who's moving toward the same goal so yeah there's some things that i'm hearing because i'm the only one who's able to hear the mix because you guys aren't in front of the pa so if if we can collaborate and cooperate on making it better um, it's going to be better. And so that requires a couple of things. I think first, we have to have a clearly defined win for the team, for the whole team. You know, the worship pastor and the senior pastor might have an idea of where the bullseye on the target is, but if they don't let the production team in on that, whether it's for a particular series or a service or our church in general, if, if we as production folks aren't in on hey, where's, where are we going here? Where's the bullseye on the target for me as a production artist? Then we're kind of left wondering, okay, is this, is this okay? Am I, am I thinking about these tones or this song or this volume in the right way? You know, is, is the sound that I'm helping to produce even kind of what they want to hear ideally? You know, so there has to be a partnership on that in terms of vision. Then the other thing is on the relational side, the best way for the band to feel like we're willing to be their partner shows up in several different areas. First of all, the way we prepare as a production team. I don't want the band to ever be waiting on me. When the band comes in for rehearsal or sound check, the worst thing is to see a production person running around like a headless chicken trying to get everything plugged in and be ready for them to start. Like, no, I want to be line checked and set up in advance so that when the band hits the stage, I can be there to greet them, shake a hand, ask about how they're doing. Hey, 
you know, I, I saw you guys bought a new house. How's everything going? How was the move? Or you got a new job and how's that going? Or, hey, our kids are on the same soccer team. Let's talk about, you know, how we're going to feel like we're going to do in the tournament next weekend. Whatever the case may be, there has to be a way to connect relationally outside of the heat of the moment, outside the sort of rehearsal sound check mode so that we can prove to each other that we're actually on the same team so that when things do happen that go wrong, we have to troubleshoot something or, man, that, that really wasn't a great run through. How can we fix this tuning problem or whatever the case may be? The band and the production side actually feel like we're partners instead of, well, I'm just here to kind of make sure everything's turned on and that it doesn't break. Man, this, you're not going to build a team if that's the win. If, if, the, if the win is make sure it doesn't break, very few people are going to want to sign up for that. But if the win is, hey, production folks, you're going to partner with us in leading worship and taking people on a journey and maybe taking a step in their faith toward God in this moment, man, that's something I'll sign up for because that's, that's impactful, that's eternal, that's, that's ministry. It's not just technology. Well, I, I'll, I'll have conversations with people that you might want to recruit to run ProPresenter. And if you tell them, hey, you know, well, what does that mean? Well, I just need you to hit space bar. Like, that doesn't sound exciting. <laughs> right. But, but if you, you know, but if you explain like, okay, you know, this is kind of creating environments in the room. In our case, ProPresenter is actually triggering lighting cues out of Vista. Um, so like you're you're in control of the entire visual uh, environment of what's going on in the service. Yeah. And when you hit that space bar is super, super crucial, both for the people that are in the room that are, you know, don't want to think about being in the room. But we want them to focus on on what God is doing in the room and the the, the truths that they're affirming through singing. Um, and never mind the fact that you're holding the safety net for the band that you got the right. words on the confidence monitor and all that. <laughs> so when you explain it that way. Um, and you realize, oh, okay, yeah, what I do like matters. And one thing we did, just we changed some terminology because a lot of times we walk into church and we say, okay, we got a worship team. That worship team's on the stage, and then we have a tech team, and they're in the back of the room. And and you kind of have these these two things. You got worship, and then you have tech. And I was like, no, we have we have a tech team. We call them the media team, and we have a music team. And they are both under the umbrella of the worship ministry. And so whether you're pressing space bar or strumming a guitar, I try to over and over and over and over as the leader of the worship ministry, just really, you know, help them to believe in that vision of like, wherever you are, you happen to be in the room, whether you have lights on you or lights away from you, you are leading worship and you're a part of the worship ministry. 100%. Everyone, you know, that that are doing production or tech or whatever to see their role as leading worship just as much as the person with the microphone. The more that they do that, then I think the more that they get better at what they do. Man, I could not agree more. I say this to anybody that I talk to, whether it's in an MXU event or another conference or whatever, We are all worship leaders, whether or not we have a microphone, whether or not we're wearing skinny jeans. It's like we've all been tasked with preparing this place and creating a space for people to experience God. And especially in modern worship settings, the production team, you know, I would argue, has a role that's very similar to the the priests in the Old Testament who would prepare the temple. Uh, I love how Matt Redmond says it. We're preparing a place for the people of God to experience the presence of God through the praises of God. And 
we're the ones who get to facilitate that moment. You know, so we have an opportunity to partner not only with the worship team, but partner with the Almighty God to help people engage with Him and take a step in their faith. And that, you know, it, if that becomes the win, you know, the reason that we're here, why why we show up in all black at an hour where no one should be awake, entering through the back door and disappearing when it's over, that makes it all worth it because what we're doing has potentially an eternal impact on people. It's 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 a totally different mindset. And if you can, as a leader, start to cast vision in that way, you won't have to worry about recruiting volunteers because they're going to want to be a part of that. It's like that... That's how you get people to engage in being a part of the team is it's not just in sort of twiddling these knobs and pushing these buttons, but it's, you know, being a part of leading worship. It's, it's a totally different mindset. That's really good. And speaking of volunteers, um, so that's a good question because, uh, you know, recruitment is, uh, is, is a big deal. None of us have ever really said, I have too many volunteers and I'm turning them away or whatever. <laughs> and when it comes to like running audio, like that's a certain skill set. It is. Yeah. If, if you've got someone that wants to serve and you're like, Hey, I just need you to be a friendly face and hold the door open or something like that. Like we have places for people for that and that's important, but that's an easy in, yeah. but trying to find someone to run sound and to do it well, that's, that's kind of a trick. And I know for me, people ask like, well, how do you, how do you find these people? How can I get someone like Jeff to come in and run sound for me? It's like, if you, if you have someone like that in your church, that's kind of like, that's, that's a a diamond in the rough. It's pretty rare. Yeah. But most of the time, like for me, like you kind of have to grow your own as far as like, you have to make your own sound engineer. So how would you recommend people do that? Like what is, is, is someone who is leading a worship ministry that is in charge of the recruiting what might you encourage them to like, like look for these qualities in someone knowing that, you know, we can fill in the rest uh, to make them a great sound person. Okay. So there's a couple things. One is, you know, to your point earlier about um, someone's just sort of natural aptitude. There are some people who are really well suited for pro presenter or well suited for lighting. I think for somebody to really be well suited for audio I don't think they necessarily have to be a musician who plays an instrument, but they do have to have some musical sensibility. I think um, the best audio engineers that I know are also musicians because even if they don't have the skill to know how to EQ a certain thing to make it sound, quote, right, they have in their head what a good sounding version of whatever that thing is, is whether it's a snare drum or a vocal or an acoustic guitar, you know, a bass guitar, it's like I, I have a feeling for how that's supposed to sound. And if I get that person on the team, then we can talk about how to get there in terms of how you shape the tonality, how you use dynamics to maybe make it more effective or punchy or tighter or how to build a mix, you know, how to, how to run faders, whatever. Um, I can, we can talk through the mechanics of all that. But if they don't have any sort of musical sensibility and I only teach them the, the mix techniques, then I think there's going to be a gap. So first thing would be to, to ensure that there's some sort of musical aptitude on the front end. Second, you know, I, this, this interview isn't meant to be a plug for MXU at all, but on the MXU Now library, there are a ton of sort of 101 level videos 
where people can go and get some of those basics. So we want to partner with you in how you train your team. Well, like you did a video I thought was amazing that uh, it was building a mix from scratch on an X32. Yeah, yeah, totally. Where it's like, okay, you know, if, if you know, it pushed down the, uh, you have to be on a CL5 or it has to be a digit code. It's like, okay, right. um, you know, and maybe the next video you do is on a Mackie 1604. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and build a mix and say, okay, this is what I would do and this is what it would sound like. Yeah. Because, you know, there, if the source is good, if your band is okay, then you should be able to get a decent result with a gain knob, a high-pass filter, and a fader. You know, and you don't have to have necessarily multi-band, fully parametric EQ in order to make a good mix happen. And, and MXU is not the only training platform out there. I think there are other great online resources. Well, and e- you even have a YouTube channel with with snippets of all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, and those are free. So yeah, if you don't want to dive into the to the now thing just from a cost standpoint, or you want to kind of like try on the shoe before you buy it. Yeah. I mean, I've learned a ton just by subscribing to that. And between that and the podcast, both those things are free. So yeah, um, you know, I love the generosity that like yeah, there's a premium side to this, but there's also a lot of just giving stuff away that has benefited me personally. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say generally is what I like to call kind of the road to tech discipleship. It's, it's, it's a transference of skill from one person to another where I would say, okay, the first step for a new volunteer is I do, you watch. Then I do, you help. Then you do, I help. Then you do, I watch. In other words, there's this hand-holding that happens where a new volunteer is beside me at the console. I, I would love for no one to ever be at the console by themselves. Like, I want them to always have somebody by their side who's learning, who's watching, who's absorbing. And then, as those back-and-forth dialogue happens and as those questions get answered, then all of a sudden this person is able to now, okay, you're going to manage the pastor's fader, and you're going to be in charge of whenever the the host or the lead pastor or whoever's teaching gets on stage, like you're, you're controlling their, th- I'll still mix the band, but you're going to be in charge of something. Okay. And then maybe we switch. So in a few weeks, you're going to be mixing the band and I'll, I'll work on the, the headset mics. And then all of a sudden now you're better equipped. So you're going to take the reins and I'm going to sit over here and watch. I'll be here as a safeguard to make sure nothing blows up, but man, this is, this is yours. The training wheels are off and now you're ready to roll. And, um, when I was at North Point, you know, way back in the very beginning, one of the key things that I'll always take with me was their idea of whether it was the kids' ministry or the host team or parking or production team or whatever the area of service was in the church, there was this core value of replace yourself. Your role is not to go and recruit a team of 50 to come in and do what we need to do around here, but if each one finds one person to bring them alongside to say, hey, here's what I do around here. If I can do this, anybody can. I was a low-level, low-knowledge volunteer to start as well. So why don't you come along and let me show you what it is that I do. And then over time, because it's typically going to be a person you already have a relationship with, over time, your friendship's going to deepen, and you're going to be able to show them what you know and what you do. And it's not so that you work yourself out of a job but it's so that you can prepare yourself for what the church and what God has next for you. So as the ministry grows, we're going to need more people. So instead of beating our heads up against the wall saying, how do we recruit more volunteers? 
What if each person just found one person? Could be somebody from their small group. Could be somebody from work. It could be just a friend that they say, man, come. This is actually pretty fun. We get to help kind of lead worship around here. Why don't you let me show you what it is that I do? And over time, all of a sudden now, if everybody does that, we've doubled the size of our volunteer base. So now our sound tech might actually get a weekend off occasionally where they could actually go and experience worship with their family because they're not having to sit behind the soundboard every week. So there's a lot of, again, a lot of things we can talk about in this conversation, but that's just a couple of things that I would say to that you know, beginner, beginner level person to go, okay, maybe, maybe there's some tips in here that, that would be helpful. That's so good. Jeff, are you ready now for the bonus round? Ooh, I, I think I am, actually. I'm, Are I'm, you? I've been excited about this. I think it's going to be fun. As you should be. Okay, we're doing the bonus round in three, <laughs> two, one. Coffee or tea? Hot coffee, iced tea. Okay. Early riser or night owl? Mm. Night owl, generally, but that's had to change since kids. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, then um, but you have a teenager, right? Yeah, so it's going to go back to Night Owl pretty soon for her, I think, yeah. That's the life I live in. I mean, I remember when they would wake you up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and now I'm the one going in at 11 o'clock, almost noon, going, hey, it's time to go to school. Yeah, well, the problem is my wife is an early riser, so she's up at 5 every day, and I'm like, I don't have that. Favorite TV or Netflix show? (laughs) Maybe I wasn't ready for this. Um, Network TV right now, This Is Us. Cat or dog? Dog, 100%. Cats are the spawn of Satan. (laughs) Enneagram number? Nine, wing one. All right, so you're like making sure that everyone's, you know, are we all happy? Are we, is everyone? Peace is the core value. In and out or Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. Favorite book every church leader should read? (sighs) Wow. Um, Well, production-wise... Um, I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas. Yeah, Todd Elliott. That's a great book. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. You can check that out. And also, there's an episode where we had Todd on the show, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. You can check out all of the things. So he's kind of an honorary MXU person, so maybe... He is, yeah. So now that's four people. So Lee would be five. If Lee's on the show, he would be number five. All right. We got to get him going. First record you ever purchased. Oh, man. Billy Joel, Glass Houses. Oh, come on! Followed closely thereafter by Supertramp, Breakfast in America. Fantastic choices. First yes. car you ever owned. Oh, my gosh. 1978 Chevette that was always broken, but stupidly fun to drive. Do you remember that song from Audio Adrenaline? The, there was, they actually had a song about the Chevette, my Chevette, and same exact sentiment as far as like, you know, I love this car, but it doesn't appear to love me because it's always broken. It was a horrible car. I, I paid 500 bucks for it, and it was, I think, I think there were three cylinders that worked out of four most of the time. Um, it was It was rough, but man... She was a good one for high school. It was it was fun. I grew up near Buffalo, so there was always winter. To go to the mall parking lot and do donuts in that stick shift Chevette was something I'll never forget. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Jeff Sandstrom with the bonus round. Give it up for Jeff. <laughs> that was fun.
Okay, so like a majority of the people that listen to this podcast are worship leaders, worship leaders that would describe themselves as someone that has to do it all, and they're in charge of the people that are running sound and doing tech and things like that. So they're, that's under their leadership and under their purview, Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily the world that they live in. You, on the other hand, with what you're doing with MXU and at North Point and even with Passion and Chris Tomlin and, and, and everything in between, like you live in that production world. So maybe take a second. And now that you have the attention of some worship pastors, like what's what would be maybe one thing that you would want them to kind of maybe understand about what they do and something that maybe they can do to help their world? Man, that's a great question. Um Again, along the lines of this sort of partnership that we're in and this idea of building a bridge between the booth and the stage, um, you know, being authentic in the communication piece is one thing, but there is a technical aspect that I don't want to get lost as well. Um, I was at a conference uh, years ago at Passion City Church, and David Crowder was leading a breakout session, and a young worship leader asked him a question at the end. He said, okay, David, what's the one thing, like, it?" If I wanted to be where you are someday, what's the one thing I need to know? And without hesitating, he said, tune your guitar. And it just spoke to this idea of, man, the people on stage, as we talk about this partnership, need to care about their craft as much as we as mix engineers or audio folks or video camera folks or whoever, we need to care about our craft as well. So there's nothing I can do as a mixer to fix an out-of-tune guitar or a broken snare drum or, you know, any number of things that are the musician's responsibility. So musicians, worship leaders, show up to rehearsal and sound check knowing the songs. Our sound check time is not your practice room. And I know that's hard when we're dealing with volunteers and they just came from work and they're an accountant during the week and now they are the volunteer keyboard player on the production team. But you got to find a way to show up with what you're ready to bring to the song. So that could be a guitar part that's not the same as the stage right guitar player is playing so that you're using different voicings and different tones so that me as a mix engineer can actually have two different things to work with. You know, if the win for the team is just to sort of play all the right chords at the right time, that's okay. But man, it's not very musically exciting. You know, so what can we bring to the arrangement of the song as a musician on stage that actually brings something that's unique and that is an expression of what our team wants to do? And so that goes into, gosh, maybe we can't cover every single part from the latest Bethel, Passion, Hillsong, North Point recording because we don't have the skill on our team to do that. Okay, well then how are we going to partner together to figure out what the essence of the song that is most important that we can communicate. So that might mean, hey, acoustic guitar player or electric guitar player, maybe you don't even come in until the downbeat of the chorus because arrangement-wise, we need this lift to happen that isn't going to happen with everybody just banging out chords the whole time. So there has to be a way for us to kind of come around that conversation in terms of the skill that's coming at us from the stage. As much as we want to be skillful in creating our mix, it has to go both ways. Yeah, I mean, if you show up with, you know, like you've got a drummer and, you know, and their their toms are, they sound like kind of flat and muddy. I mean, there's no amount of EQ or compression that's going to fix that. They're just, it's going to be yeah. a better sounding thud 
Yeah, I don't want to mix a cardboard box. I want to mix a drum that has tonality. That's the whole point of the resonance of the shell of the drum. We got to find that together so that we can, you know, when you play that tom, it's actually going to sing. It's not just poop. Right. So as we talk about this bridge building and this relationship stuff, you know, it you're right. It all comes down to the quality of that relationship. And as we build that bridge, just remember, you know, bridges were meant to be walked on, but people weren't. <laughs> and so your bridge has to be able to withstand the weight of truth. And so I think as we're taking a step toward, whether it's toward the booth or toward the stage, you know, we have to be okay with difficult conversations and maybe some tension in the meantime. But the the motivation has to be that we're partnering together toward a common win. If we clarify the bullseye on the target, it's the best way for us to celebrate it when we hit it, but it's the only way for us to evaluate it when we don't. And so as we partner together, techs and worship leaders, musicians, senior leadership, pastors, keeping us all aligned around that common vision is the best way for us to start building those bridges. We always talk about around here all the extra things that comes along with leading a worship ministry, and this is definitely one of them. We need to make sure that we're shepherding and pastoring our people that we're leading, and I appreciate Jeff's perspective on how both creatives and tech can work together to to do this and to make Sunday happen. And I know Jeff didn't feel comfortable making this a plug for MXU, so I'll do it. MXU is a training resource for those that are using technical arts within the church. They've got a podcast and they have a YouTube channel, and those two things are fantastic and they're free. But they also have an on-demand training library that has tons of videos. Some of the videos talk about the basics of EQ and compression. Some of the videos talk about effects on vocals. Some of the videos talk about building a mix specifically on an X32 console, which I know many of us have at our churches. And that's just the sound side. There's also videos on designing lights and using cameras for live streaming and things like that. And starting this fall, they're going to like a dozen cities across the U.S., where they do these live events, they get in a room, whether it's audio or lighting, you watch people that are some of the best at what they do, do the very thing that we do on Sundays, which is mix audio and program lights for worship and things like that. So as the budget allows, we all spend money on new gear, but maybe spending money on knowledge and I sound like that that YouTube guy, knowledge, maybe spending money on knowledge and, and training of your people on the current gear that you have might actually give you the results that you're looking for. I'll put a link to all the MXU things in the show notes. You can check that out by going to practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast. 31. And if you'd like some help navigating a specific problem that you are facing in your ministry, you can schedule a coaching call with me. A coaching call is just where you and I get on Zoom for an hour and you share the unique situation that you're dealing with. And then we work together to come up with a step-by-step plan that you can start doing today to get closer to the things that you'd like to see happen in your worship ministry. I'm not saying that 
I have all the answers, but I have been fortunate to have done a lot of different things in the area of worship ministry and just in the Christian music industry in general for the last 25 years or so, and I've learned a lot from those experiences. And if you can maybe glean some wisdom from that, I would love to be able to help you. So if you think that I can help you, I'd love to talk with you more about that. You can sign up at practicalworshiplog.com slash coaching. And as always, I want to say thank you to everyone that has written an honest five-star review and rating on iTunes and on the iOS podcast app. This is what iTunes uses to suggest this podcast to other people that have similar interests and have similar problems that they're trying to find solutions for. So the more people that rate and review the podcast, the more that iTunes is going to recommend it to other people that are just like us. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Google or TuneIn or Stitcher, I'm glad you're here as well. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month.